ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Relationships Rule. I'm Janice Porter, and this week, my special guest is Lisa Stambaugh, coming to us from down the coast for me in the San Francisco area. Welcome to the show, first of all, Lisa. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. You're very welcome. I'm so excited, actually, to have Lisa on my podcast. We met on LinkedIn, and we met because of what I do on LinkedIn, I get new people to talk to. And I was fascinated when I met Lisa because she embodies so much of, of the things that I, being so detail-oriented, um, find uh, useful and also I'm idiosyncratic about it, I think. I'm not sure if that's the word. Anyway, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background about Lisa. She is, um, she was actually, she always wanted to be a writer, um, but she was always steered towards tech and ended up doing 20 years of her career time in engineering and IT and 20 years in web design. Um, she worked for a company that a lot of us know, GoDaddy, and I'm going to get Lisa to sh- tell us just a tiny bit about what that was and how that led her to what she calls her third act, which is helping um, time-crunched solopreneurs bake up a buffet of sweet stories that make much ado about you. I'm losing my voice. And much ado about you is her website that she has now. But I just want to say one more thing. I wrote down these things I found on one of your places on your website because this speaks to who you are in my mind as a to a T, a zealous wordsmith, a knitting enthusiast, a cookie artiste, a curly girl, and a musical theater devotee. And in your third act I am too I love that that we um my hair I don't let it go gray but where I'm in that same genre so I just love that because there's so much that I can dig into here about who you are and I learned a lot of it from your newsletter and that's what I love to talk about too so first of all tell us a little bit about how you went from engineering and IT to writing um, okay, well, again, thanks for, for having me here. So the story, and this goes back now 50 years. Oh. I was in high school, and I told the counselor, I want to be a writer. I really enjoyed writing and art. And the counselor said, well, um, you know, art, uh, writing is not a lucrative career, and but you're pretty good at math for a girl. You should go into tech. Yeah. And I, I did grow up in Silicon Valley, so there was perhaps a higher percentage of uh, students whose parents were in engineering or in, or in tech. And my father was an engineer. And so I studied electrical engineering in college. I have a degree in electrical engineering and a degree in computer science. And I worked in high tech for 20 years in various forms in research and development. I worked in quality. I worked in IT, um, did some interesting you know, project management and all kinds of things. And then at some point, the high tech lifestyle was not super compatible with uh, young children and outside interests and the Silicon Valley commute, which was getting worse and worse by the minute. And I left to uh, set up my own business and I did a variety of things, corporate consulting on projects and 
you know, initially some writing projects and web design, which was still fairly, fairly new. I'd gotten into it when I worked in IT and big companies had websites, but small businesses did not. So when I was on my own, suddenly everybody in my neighborhood needed a website, the art gallery, the pizza parlor, the dentist, uh, the local museum. So I, so I was kind of the only game in town for a long time. Yeah, timing is everything, right? <laughs> and, and one of the first uh, realizations getting seriously into web design is that people are really good at what they do and really good at speaking about it, but not great at writing about it. They don't like writing. They don't think they're a good writer. They're embarrassed saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, how great I am. And um, it turned out that they would give me content that I would drastically rewrite and edit, or they'd flounder for a while and not write it. And eventually I would say, just sit down and talk and I will write it. <laughs> so that led you. And, you know, you mentioned GoDaddy. I wasn't actually a GoDaddy employee. However, uh, in 2014, I wrote a book about web design and somebody at GoDaddy found it and called me and said, hey, we're, we've got a blog we're building up. Would you like to write for us? So I had a gig writing for the GoDaddy blog for seven years about web design from the perspective of web designers, from the perspective of people who want to get into it. You know, what do you need to do to become a web designer? And from the perspective of people who would hire a web designer, what should I know before I hire somebody? How can I make the job easier for them? So that was a great, uh, you know, transition task in terms of writing for others outside of actually writing web content. Mm -hmm. And over the years picked up projects, um, writing bios and lead magnets and resumes mm -hmm. and uh, various other types of material that, that usually show up on the internet, honestly. Mm -hmm. So when I was ready to retire from the full-time web work, writing was there waiting for me. I was already doing it. Right. And so I call it my third act or my pre-tirement is what I like to call it. Yes. And, you know, I wish that high school counselor was still around so I could go back and say, look, writing is a pretty good job now. Yeah. It's, isn't it interesting though, how one person can influence your life to such an extent. And now I interviewed a, a guy on my pod, a great guy on my podcast. His name is David Noor, and he's all about those people, he calls them mind benders. And they're the people that, you know, like that, my husband's a basketball coach and that basket as a basketball coach or a high school counselor, which is what he also was, that was his day job. Um, he made huge interest, um, impact on the kids that he served. And that's the kind of mind bender. I think, I think that's what it was called. Anyway. Um, that can make such a difference to, you know, what's that movie sliding doors, which way you go. Right. And uh, yeah, it makes me think he, he ran into someone at a restaurant the other day who came running at him from across the room. And she said, um, are you, you're Mr. Porter, right? Mr. Porter. She said, I hated high school, Mr. Porter, but you were one of the three things in high school that kept me there. And she's now, you know, in her forties and she was like pretty excited to see him and that makes your day. And so to be that person in a positive way is great, but to be that person that, right, that just changes the direction of your life. But, you know, in retrospect, I don't regret studying engineering. I had a great time in engineering 
the lifestyle demanded by the, I mean, I was in a position where you had to travel a lot and you're managing a lot of people and you're on call. And that was not compatible with small children, right. uh, including one who was very into figure skating and needed to go to the rink every day after school. Course, you know? So, so compromise the, and the engineering and technology background certainly didn't hurt in the web. No, of course not. And now I, I do writing, I call it ghost writing, call it what you will. I write pieces for people who are in technology and they're very happy to have a writer that knows something about engineering. There you go. That's right. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think, though, what I connected with you on, to be completely honest, is um, your grammar pieces uh, in your newsletter and the fact that you're a knitter and a quilter. I got to say that because those are my those have been my interests over the years. I don't quilt anymore because it's really hard for me to do the small bit bits, but I do knit. Anyway, but the the grammar thing, I'm always I've been the grammar nerd forever. I'm not a writer, but I'm a I can edit, okay, in, in terms of the grammar pieces and so on. And so, but it's the stories you write or the the articles you write in your newsletter. To me, they're they're interesting on on so many levels. One, because I find out a lot about you through your newsletter. So you you definitely put your soul into it and your um who you are. And the style, of course, with your cookies and, and, and your recipes and all of that, that's who you are too, I'm sure. Um, but I have to tell you, I read the one on, um, I think it was on walking by a store window and they had spelled Reiki wrong. And I probably would have done the same thing you, you did. Can you share that with me? With so my so this, this, the background of the story, perhaps. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to think of myself as a grammar nerd so much as a word choice person. I write a lot about the difference between saying I can't do something and I don't do something. Or yes. the difference between wanting wrong. to and needing to. I so I'm the grammar nerd. I'm the grammar nerd, but you make it sound so much more interesting. I have to say. Word, word choice um, word has choice. a huge intellectual and emotional impact on both the speaker and the listener. The Reiki story... <laughs> Back up a little bit. Before yeah. Christmas, I received a gift of a coffee cup, which was something like it that said, you know, I before E, except after C. Oh, when yes. your neighbor Keith has eight reindeer, blah, blah, blah. And it had a bunch of words where it was all E-I. Yeah. And I, I had posted on LinkedIn about that. And we had a lot of conversation yeah. about grammar rules and how do you know when to make an exception? And how confusing is this for non-native English speakers learning the language? And then shortly after that, I walked by a store window, uh, a store may not be the right word, it's a studio that does yoga and Pilates and Reiki, and they have certain days of the week where you can bring your dog, they do dog yoga. <laughs> and in the window, Reiki was spelled incorrectly, it was, it was spelled R-I-E-K-E, -E. it should be R-E-I-K-I, -I. and in fact, I had just posted about I before E. So this is in the downtown where I go near my mother's house and I was walking by there to another store I went to the other store where I know the owner and I said listen if you had a spelling error in your window would you want to know yes. I don't want to embarrass somebody and she said oh absolutely what what spelling error do I have in my window I said not you relax yeah. she said no no you you should tell them they will be appreciative so I walked back by the yoga pilates reiki studio and I walked in there and I said look I don't make a habit of walking into stores and telling people the spelling on their window is wrong. However, I think you might 
want to know this. It's a raceable marker for Windows. They could easily fix it. And the person was very appreciative and said, oh my God, I want, you know, how long has this been there? And nobody said anything. And then we talked about it and I showed, got up my iPad and showed her the post about the coffee cup with oh, iPad really? yeah. and kind of made a joke out of it. I said, yeah. well, it was heavily on my mind. I yeah. before E. And, and, you know, she said, oh, like, look, you should come and try a class. <laughs> We'd love to have you, you know. So I felt like it ended on a good note. Uh, but you really have to be careful about correcting people's spelling and grammar and, and yeah. decide whether or not they would appreciate it, whether or not they would care. I, there's another story, and I don't know if I had told you this one. On LinkedIn, a writer, uh, influencer may or may not be the right word. She yeah. has maybe 10,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And she had changed her headline to something kind of snarky. And she'd she'd used it's, but she'd used it's with an apostrophe when she should have used it's without an apostrophe. Yeah. And I have followed this woman. I love her writing. And I direct messaged her. I said, hey, writer to writer, if I had a typo in my new, very clever headline, I would want to know about it. I hope you won't be offended. It's versus it's. And she gave me a very snarky reply and said, if I wanted a proofreader, I would have hired one. And she blocked me. And then I was able to check her profile through my husband's account and she did fix it. So, so I knew I was right. But then there's that whole discussion about not everybody wants to hear about the errors. Well, right? I think it goes deeper, of course, in that she is totally insecure and that's why she couldn't handle it. Possibly, but it was, and you know, it was, a, it was, it's a great story about that illustrates that not everybody wants your feedback, even when you're right, even yes. when you're correct, right. right? Know your audience. Yes, exactly. That's a good story. There was another one that um, that you did around, and I, and I want to ask you why it's this particular um, grammar um, term, not term, but the usage, I think, that you have this thing about, but it was about hyphens. And I, um, whenever I'm doing uh, Word documents, if I forget the hyphen, it always shows me that I need a hyphen for 30, you know, 30 day or, or um, two hour course or something. I don't know why you have to do that. Maybe you can tell me, but also that was the one that really bothers you. And I remember you showed a picture that you were trying to take a picture of this sign that had, it was in a, a it furnace. Was, it was, uh, I went to the theater. That's and it was in San Francisco and there was a camera up above the door and it said something, this facility under 24 hour surveillance yes. and 24 hour did not have a hyphen. And it comes from the fact that 24 and hour are modified together. So if you said 24 hour with a hyphen surveillance, 24 is a unit modifies hour. If you said 24 our surveillance. Now you're talking about 24 items of an hour of surveillance. Got it. Okay. Right. Got so, so whenever you have a two-word modifier, two-word, you know, a compound adjective. Yeah. If those two words don't make sense without the hyphen, it probably needs a hyphen. That's. <laughs> well, yeah. I've learned so much. The other one I learned from you was. Uh, while versus a while mm. and it needs the word for in front of it right for a while mm -hmm. well that's how you can decide which version to use is you say it to yourself 
would it make sense if I said for a while? Right. right. So, you know, words like that, where it's a specific word that may be used in two different contexts, some of it is kind of gut feeling and some of it, there's sometimes there's a secret way to remember. Mm -hmm. and the and the challenge uh, is that I would not I would never correct somebody if they wrote something on a LinkedIn post that had a while instead of a while yeah I'd, I'd let it go no because most of the people reading it won't know the difference but here's a here's a maybe an interesting thought around okay I used to teach school I taught elementary school and um back in the day you know and this is a long time ago uh we taught phonics, okay? And then we didn't teach phonics. Then it was like um, whole language, they called it, whole language learning. And people, the kids would, um, they would just, they were more focused on having kids write and not worry about spelling and not worry about phonics, but have them be creative. Well, their spelling was atrocious. I don't think that group of kids ever learned how to spell properly because they didn't learns phonics and and grammar rules the same way I don't know which do you think is better because I'm stuck I'm stuck on I love words I love the etymology of words is that the right word etymology I love the um the I do that especially love it when um when I talk to somebody new and I'm curious about the origin of their name and try to guess, you know, is it from, did you come from Scotland or is that an Eastern European name? Cause it just helps me break the ice. And, and, but I'm curious, I'm naturally curious about it. And yet there are people that words are not that important. They don't care that they don't spell, like you said, that they spell properly, but to me, it gives a certain impression and I I'm very fussy about it. So I don't know what's your take on that. Maybe you're more open-minded than I am. I'm, I'm, fussy certainly in my own writing yes. I edit 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 I, I say I ruthlessly edit yes I'm very particular with my own writing and I'm occasionally hired to audit a website where somebody says please look at my website and give me feedback on what needs fixing mm -hmm. and I look for technical errors and I also look for grammar and spelling and I've not been hired to rewrite and edit but mm -hmm. I can often find themes like they don't know how to use a hyphen. They don't understand Oxford commas. They don't understand capitalization or the format of bullet lists or any of a number of other. And it's not that they're bad writers. They just don't know the rule. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, Oxford comma. And for what is that? Oxford. Comma. Oxford OK. You know, you say a comma B comma and C or a comma B and C the comma before and or or in the sentence is an Oxford comma. And both ways are technically correct. And it depends which style guide you use. You know, the New York Times does it one way and the Washington Post does it another, okay. but be consistent. Always use it or never use it. And what I often find when I'm editing something or auditing a website, people have sometimes had a comma and sometimes not. Yeah, so they're inconsistent. It's that they don't know that there is a rule. So I can say, here's the rule. Yes. A comma B comma and C. Go fix all the ones missing the second comma. It. That's it. They just needed to know the rule. I don't need to rewrite everything for them. Right. And many fans, I'll say fans, aficionados of the Oxford comma, insist that 
it is less ambiguous when you include that comma. Mm -hmm. That's one of the arguments in favor of it. So yes, I think I use it actually. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. You'll, you'll, now you'll look for it. Yeah, of course I will. Of course I will. Um, I just think, you know, my website, or sorry, not my website, my podcast is about building relationships and relationships matter. But this is about relationships with words. And I just love that. And I just felt that, that you and I, um, I needed to talk to you because I love that you know all this. I think I just think like just when I read your, I think it's weekly newsletter, right? I don't read most newsletters that I get. Sometimes I get them just to see their format or what they're doing, but most of the time I don't have time. But I do read yours, and I read it because I enjoy it. So I just wanted to know that um, my audience needs to know that you have this weekly newsletter, and if they want to look at and explore some of those kinds of things, they should read it. And that's all I'm going to say. And it is uh, on your website, muchadoaboutyou.com, right? They can just sign up on the, and there's a few sample issues, links to them on the website. Yeah. So go ahead. um, What is really fun about, you know, plenty of people on LinkedIn who are writers will write about specific grammar rules. This is when you should do this. And, and don't, don't confuse there, there, and there, and it's and it's and all the pretty, and I don't want to write about, I'm not an English teacher. I don't want to be the, you know, English police. I like to write about word choices Mm -hmm. and why changing the way we speak and write, even with very small word choices, influences how we feel about our work and how our listeners respond or readers respond to us. And I had written recently about the difference between saying can't and don't as a business owner. So when the client comes to you and says, I want you to do something and you say, I can't do it. You're letting control go to something or someone else. You're, you're saying this is beyond my power. When you say, I don't do that, or I don't do it that way, and here is why, you own the situation. So when a client, when I do a proposal, I send a proposal and here's my quoted price. And somebody says, that's too much money. Uh, I, I would hire you if you'll cut the price by 20%. If I say I can't cut it by 20%, mm-hmm. I'm not owning the situation. I'm saying there's something outside of my sphere of influence making me say that. When I say I don't lower my proposal prices because mm-hmm. I believe I gave you a fair price the first time, mm-hmm. I'm controlling the situation. Mm-hmm. When the client says, I want to meet with you on Saturday, and I say, I can't meet with you on Saturday, I'm not controlling the situation. When I say, I don't meet with clients on Saturday because it's family time and I'm babysitting my grandson and whatever, mm-hmm. that's my policy, my rule, I control the situation. Mm-hmm. And so can't and don't which often come to the same result, you're not gonna do it, whatever it is. Um, It's a difference in how you take control of the situation and what your client or the other person hears. And those are the really interesting, and the hashtag I use is wordsmithery wisdom, right? So I talk a lot about word tweaks and why they matter. Well, you had something else. I don't know if it was in that, or maybe it was a different one. It was the one called stretch your limits. It was when you said, I don't, I, I don't do that yet. I don't do that yet. Oh, um, so when, when, when somebody says, I'm not good at something, I'm not a good writer. 
you could end the statement there or you could say, I'm not a good writer yet. So I'm going to take classes. I'm going to practice. I'm going to read books. You say, I'm not a a whatever, you know, I'm not a published author. End of sentence. Or I'm not a published author yet. So I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to figure out my book. I'm going to hire a book coach. I'm going to do all these things. And, and we, we sell ourselves short by not expanding the sentence to say, well, what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's words, but it's mindset. Yes. So. Exactly. Now you, um, you, you help clients figure out how to brag your butt off without being a pain in the ass. Okay. So um, that's a kind of follow-up to what you were just starting to talk about, about how you help individual clients in that way, because people don't like to talk about themselves. It's hard for them to brag. And I think you're talking about in their website um, copy and things like that, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, So can you speak to that a little bit? So, so, and that tagline came from, you know, so much of my writing. So whether it's web content or bios or LinkedIn resumes, people need to speak with confidence about what they've accomplished. Many people don't know how to speak in a way that doesn't sound either offensive or superior or I'm better than you are. The the many interpretations of bragging. And people will say bragging in and of itself is bad. I will argue that bragging done correctly is not bad at all. And so when I say brag your butt off without being a pain in the ass, it's about how to tell your story, convince people in a positive way that you know what you're doing and you're good at it mm-hmm. without being offensive. With, and, and there are many tiny word choices that we make, which imply that we think we are better than who we're talking to. So when somebody makes a statement and you say, well, obviously, blah, 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 mm-hmm. obviously is That is a pain in the ass statement because you're saying, I knew that. How come you didn't know that? I'm smarter than you. You're dumb, right? And so so some of those word choices that we can avoid help us not be a pain in the ass when we're we're speaking. You don't always have to let people know that you already know something or that you think you're smarter or that you've accomplished something bigger and better. How many times does it happen that somebody says, I did X and somebody jumps in? Well, I did. 2x. I did better. I did more. I, let me tell you about the time I did this. Yeah. Did we ask them? yeah. That doesn't always contribute to the conversation. Nothing bad will happen if you don't rush to jump in with why I'm better, why I'm why I'm more and why I'm bigger. Right. Right. That's good advice too. Um, okay. So let's just have a little fun for a minute. So you love um, uh, uh, doing your crafts and singing along to Broadway musicals. So what's your favorite Broadway musical? Oh, don't make me choose. Okay, top three. Top three musicals. That's really hard. Uh, well, that's just too hard. I oh. mean, Hamilton, Hamilton was a groundbreaker in that Yes. It took history and made it interesting. Yes. It took rap music, which is not normally my favorite, yes. and put it in a venue that I love. You talk about mind bending, right? Ah, yes. That was was really something of the what I'd call the newer crop yes. of musicals in the last few years. The band's visit was one that I really loved. 
the story, the way the music was done. And again, it was about culture clash and people learning to get together. And that's all a fun story. Um, but the, the, it's about an Egyptian band that is going to Israel to a new Egyptian cultural center and they get on the wrong bus and they wind up in this tiny town where, you know, culture clash, the yes, yes. people and the Egyptians, but they've got to spend the night in this town. And it's about how they find commonality and forge relationships. I think, it's just, I it's think yeah, it, they did a thing of it on the Tony Awards, maybe. And oh, I, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's they what did. Yeah. Yes, they did. I, there are so many musicals that each of their own reason another one another one that i really like is called the last five years and it's the story of a relationship and the songs alternate between the man and the woman and she sings backwards in time not ba singing backwards but she sings starting from the end of the relationship and he sings from the beginning and uh -huh. the songs cross and how how things came together and how they fell apart so who did that on broadway it's a unique storytelling yeah. mechanism. Yeah. Who did that on Broadway? Do you know? I mean, who was in it on Broadway? Yeah. Um, I want to say it was Norbert Leo Butts. And I can't think of who the woman was. Okay. Interesting. But, yeah. I theater. I just never get to go to it anymore. I, I have season tickets in San Francisco with a friend that we've, for 20 years, we've gone to all the shows. Yeah. And, you know, we had two years of, yeah, not 2020, going. we paid for things in 2019 for, that were scheduled to come in 2020, then they didn't happen. Yeah. And in 2020, they said, well, everything will be back next year. We paid for that series and they didn't happen. And so all those things are touring now. Yes. So we're having periods. There was a period in the fall where we had a show every other weekend for oh my goodness. two months and then a break. And now we're coming up on another period of, of several shows all at once. That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, I just I love Broadway shows as well. I just never theater, theater as a as a storytelling mechanism where you only have let's say two hours or three hours and you've got to tell the story and you've got a visual component and often it's come from something bigger, a book or a you know mm -hmm. some longer story and they really have to be exacting. Every word counts mm -hmm. in those songs. So, do you like movies or not? I do. Oh, okay. okay. I wasn't sure. We don't, we don't go to the theater too often. We watch movies on TV and they've made movies of some great musicals in the last couple of years yeah. as well. Tick, yeah. tick, boom. And um, Matilda and West Side Story, uh, mm -hmm. lots of movie musicals. And I hope that exposes people who don't normally go to the theater mm -hmm. to what the theatrical arts really are. So uh, last question I'd like to ask you um, and it's one I like, well, actually, no, I'm lying. I have three questions. I, first one, I know, I just, first one is, um, uh, do you read as well? Like, do you read fiction or do you read nonfiction? Um, I read both. Okay. So what are you reading right now? Um, today I'm reading, or as of right now, um, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is a loose interpretation of David Copperfield. So David Copperfield was, uh, you know, a long time ago and uh, not a great life and poverty and destitute and all that. And this is a retelling in, in Appalachia area of mm. the United States, but a similar kind of 
a feeling of a story. So it's a modernized version. Oh, and, and that's pretty good for, um, and I, I read a lot of fiction. I like historical fiction and I do like memoirs, mm-hmm. um, in particular of theater people. Sure, why not? Yeah. So, you know, Alan Cumming uh, has a great oh. memoir, Billy Porter, and Martin Short, and Andrea Martin. I mean, oh, whenever Sutton Foster has a great Sutton Foster's memoir is the best because it's about crafting. <laughs> and she talks, and I am big into crafting. She talks about how um, crocheting and working on craft projects behind the scenes when she was waiting to go on set really helped her deal with some difficult times in her life when she had personal things going on with her family and friends and whatever. And crafting became, um, uh, therapy may or may not be the right word, uh, meditative and fulfilling and um, yeah. and calming for her so she writes about you know theater and crafting that's that's my book that's my person yeah, there you are. <laughs> yeah, theater and crafting all right um two last questions now because that was the third um one of the things that i mentioned this already is that i loved i'm very curious and i'm very i love the word curiosity and um And I have a two-part question that I like to ask my guests. The first part is, do you think curiosity is innate or learned? And part two, what are you most curious about today? I would say it's innate and yet needs to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. Everybody has the ability to be curious. Some people for whatever reason, choose not to, or we're not encouraged to develop that skill. That's something you can do with children, certainly with, with yeah. us, with grandchildren, yeah. help them be curious and get the, see the value in curiosity. Mm-hmm. And one of the, I'll say the best aspects of my writing work now, when I was doing a lot of writing about the web design world for GoDaddy and for other venues, mm-hmm. it was a topic I already knew a lot about. They say, write about this topic. Okay. I know a lot about that. I can whip out an article. I wrote a book about web design. I can do that. When you write for web clients or ghostwriting blogs for other people or research papers, I often don't know a lot about the topic. They're trusting me to do the research. I have to be curious. I have to go learn and find out, which I enjoy. I really like doing the research. That's part of the challenge is, you know, I give myself an hour. How much can I learn in an hour, become enough of an expert on this topic to write 500 words of a basic piece so somebody else can get the gist of what the topic is and so that for me is is quite fun and there are certain types of businesses that over the years I have written web content for many of the same type of business Mm -hmm. for example I had done a website for an orthopedic surgeon so some years ago Mm -hmm. did his site then a year later he became the president of the California Orthopedic Association so that's a big statewide thing Mm -hmm. of orthopedic surgeons and i i was hired to redo their website which was great Mm -hmm. and then a whole bunch of other orthopedic practices hired me based on seeing that i did the coa website so suddenly in the span of a couple of years i did 20 okay i i don't hire me to replace your hip but i sure know more about how to prepare for surgery and recover than the average person and and so then it's not it's fine. They're paying me, right? Yeah. But it's not fun and interesting to write the same stuff over and over. Mm. I'm a curious person. I like learning about new things. And huh. people will sometimes hire a writer, not because they don't know, but they do know about the topic. They're not a writer. They don't have time. They don't want to. 
And it's up to me to like get inside their head enough to learn what I need to learn or do the research on my own to learn what I need to learn. And they have to find people who want to do that part. Not everybody wants to right. do the research. Right. So that's, that's a really fun part of the, the job. Um, is there a second part to that? Just what are you most interested in or curious about today? Um, oh, you, yeah. what am I most curious about today? Uh, well, I'm pretty curious to know which Broadway shows are going on tour next year. Okay. <laughs> oh, there you I, go. I, I have a bucket list on one of my websites. I have a bucket list of all the shows I've seen and the ones I still want to see. Oh, fantastic. And the list of what I've seen is long. And now I'm waiting for them to bring around the ones I haven't seen yet. So i'm waiting yes well this has been delightful um do you my last question is really do you have what's your best piece of advice um for my audience um around writing and the work that you do and and then also where can we find you which i will put in the show notes of course so um of course you can find me at much ado about you.com and i'm on linkedin and i post just about every day yes. i love that's a LinkedIn is the best venue for writers. You have an, a, you know, an audience that will come find you every day and tell you when you're doing it well and when you're not. Yeah, that's awesome. See, I don't use that, but I learned from you. So I'm in, there. in terms of in terms of advice, this is for life and for writing, for just about anything. It's the my forward communication philosophy, and I don't know why I've never heard or seen anybody else ever say this. It's it's this: speak precisely, listen forgivingly. Do your best when you're speaking to be articulate and precise, say what you mean, get your message across, think about how your audience will receive it. That's the speak precisely. Listen forgivingly is about listen with an open mind, don't make assumptions. If somebody says something that you're not entirely sure you understand, ask questions, there's the curiosity part, and give people the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, how often have we been the victim or the recipient of unsolicited advice? Yes. Listen forgivingly means give them credit. Let's assume they're trying to be helpful. Let's assume they want what's best for you. Let's assume that they know something they think you should know because it will be helpful. As opposed to the worst assumption, which is they're trying to show you they know more than you. They're trying to make you feel bad, whatever. Right. So speak precisely, listen forgivingly. And that works really well with clients, with children, with significant others, with reading posts on LinkedIn that my family likes to use the phrase. Some people are just anxious to be offended. <laughs> some people will hear what you say and just assume the worst, assume you're being negative, assume you're yes. talking down about them. Don't do that. <laughs> listen forgivingly. Speak precisely. Listen forgivingly. Listen forgivingly. That's it. Four words. That's the whole thing. I love it. That's a great ending. Thank you so much for being here today and for your wisdom and the value that you bring to um, your so many people just with the, the writing that you do, because I love it. So keep it up. And um, yeah, and uh, I will put uh, your information in the show notes. And I do encourage my audience to go and check out Lisa's um, newsletter and her posting on LinkedIn because they are uh, very um they're informational, they're educational, and they're humorous and um, enlightening and inspirational. That's what I think. So thank you so much. Thank you to my audience for being here again and for supporting me. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. 
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.